What a beautiful pr prayer and desire to ask the Lord to mold us and shape us, to recognize that He is the one in charge. He owns us. He is the potter. He made us. We are the clay. Friends, I hope that that prayer will resonate with you as the, as the week goes on. And even in, this, in the sermon, I pray that that, that thought um, prepares our hearts well for what we're about to hear from the, book, from the book of James, the Word of God, from the book of James, chapter 1. Uh, we'll be reading uh, from uh, verse 19 to 21. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to remind you, um, I'm not sure how many among us love gardening. It's Austin. Weird thing to do gardening when you have five inches of, sto of soil and then... Um, what do you call that rock? Limestone. Uh, right underneath, there's not much you can do. But if you are into gardening, have you ever planted a tomato plant and get a watermelon? No, that would be ridiculous. If it ever happened, the only explanation might be that the plant you bought had the mislabeled label. And you did not realize what a little tomato plant looks like. That's the only explanation. There'd be no other explanation, naturally, for that kind of mismatch between what you planted and what you got out of it as a fruit. Well, friends, do you realize that when it comes to our spiritual new birth, the implanted Word of God produces new fruits inside of us? And that fruit, that new fruit, is paralleling with the kind of seed that was planted in. The fruit will match the seed. It produces different kinds of desires, different kinds of inclinations, different kinds of motivations, and even different kinds of actions. Well, this morning, as, as we are looking at the book of James, uh, we will read from verse 19 to 21, but I really want to start reading verse 18 to give us a context of what happened last week as we looked at last week at one verse, um, and then we were moving on through our, our sermon series in the book of James. If, if you did not bring your Bible with you, you may find this passage on page number uh, 1011 in the Pew Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. We hope you would pick a Bible and, and open it and uh, follow along. Everything that I will say will come from this book. Um, and uh, if you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to take one of the pew Bibles and take it home with you and read it. We would love for you to have it. Here is the word of the Lord for us. I will start reading really in, chap in, in verse 18 of chapter 1. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Almighty God, your word is abiding. 
Your word will never perish. Oh, help us to understand, O Lord, your word for our hearts. Help us to understand this word that you have revealed to us and the word that you desire to implant in us. Help us to respond well to it. We pray this in the name of Christ, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, which we desire to be among us in these moments. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as you um, listened to the reading of these few verses, did you notice the uh, familial way in which James addresses these, these believers? He says in verse 19, my beloved brothers. Um, he did the same in verse 16. He did the same in verse 2 by addressing them with this language of family, of of brothers and, and sisters in the same time, brothers and sisters, James is reminding them that the fruit of the new birth that God produces in us, the fruit of that is, is also a new family, that we now consider one another brothers and sisters, and we live as Christians, we live as a family together. That's why the importance of the local church is so, so paramount that we're not just isolated Christians doing our thing throughout the week and just showing up to a church, getting a little spiritual food, and then we go out uh, isolated from other Christians and just live our isolated lives. James is writing this book to Christians in a larger region, but he is writing to Christians assuming that they live their lives together in local churches in actual communities, actual gatherings, where they gather regularly, where they know each other, they know who their spiritual leaders are, they seek their help. And so it's, a, it's beautiful to see James address these believers with this beloved language, my beloved brothers. But notice what he calls them to do in verse 19. Know this. Know this. It's an imperative. It's a call to pay attention Know this. What are you supposed to know? He's going to give us some, some, some instructions. And, and what they're supposed to know is not just information. It's not just an intellectual uh, understanding of some truth. What, he, what they're supposed to know is an actual experience and action that they're supposed to do. So it's a call to, to action. And notice, notice what he's calling them uh, to, and what he's going to call them to know has to do, deal with three as, aspects, three areas. Human relationships, know something about how we're supposed to interrelate with one another, know something about pursuing holiness, and know something about receiving the Word of God. Three aspects in which, in which James will, will ask them, know this, beloved brothers and sisters. In James 1.18, the verse we just read earlier, uh, we were told that the goal of the new birth is to be a kind of first fruits of God, a kind of first fruits of, of God's creatures. Um, and that concept of first fruits, as we saw last week, has several meanings. It meant belonging to God, but it also meant that the first fruits were like a prototype of what the harvest was going to be like. They're, they're, they shown the kind of fruits that you're going to get for the rest of the harvest. So in that sense, in a similar way, those who experience a new birth get the privilege of showing in advance what God's new creation will look like. 
in light of that, what are the kind of fruits that the new birth creates in us? What are the kind of fruits that you are showing off early or in advance, if you will, of what the new creation of God will look like when Christ will return? What kind of things should characterize us so that we are actually true representations, a good representations of what that new creation would look like? Well, three things that we will look this morning. Uh, the first has to deal with the fruits of the new birth in our relationships. And in here, there's three subpoints. If you like taking notes, there's going to be three major points and a bunch of subpoints under each of those. So the first fruits we see is in our relationships. And here James has a string of three commands or three subcommands, if you will, um, to what those relationships should look like. Here it is. Be quick to hear. Verse 19. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. These three subpoints relate and characterize the kind of relationships we ought to have with one another. Be quick to hear. What does this mean? Well, it means not simply the, the physical speed with which you are able to hear. Some might have a biological impediment in hearing. Some might need hearing aids. And it's not your fault. It's just a decaying of our body. Um, we have in, in the back of the sanctuary, some prefer to stay there because it, it might help with, with some of those hearing aids. Um, we encourage you to stay there only if you have hearing aids. If not, come up further, come up front next time, not today. But it's not referring to being, to the, the biological ability to hear. It's, speak, it's, it's really talking about the heart attitude of being ready to listen to have an attentive spirit to hear what others have to say. Now, friends, have you noticed that people are always more interested in being heard than in wanting to hear? Have you noticed that about yourself? We are interested more in our own views and expressing our own views and our opinions than in understanding what others have to say. Part of our sinfulness is the self-centeredness and self-centered nature that inclines us to be more quick and ready to speak than quick and ready to listen. Now, some people are good listeners. Others are great talkers. Friends, I don't know about you. I think everybody's a great talker. But when people sort of make those observations that, wow, he's, this person is a really good listener, this person is a really good talker, they typically talk about personality traits. Well, James is not talking about personality traits. He is speaking about spiritual traits. The new readiness to listen is actually a readiness that characterizes our new relationship with God. Now, realize this, that prior to the new birth, we had no readiness to listen to God. Not on His terms. We may have had some interest in hearing what religion has to say, what the Bible has to say. We may have had an interest in trivial things about Bible knowledge, but we didn't really have a readiness to listen to God. One of the things God does in us when He brings us and, and brings us forth and creates a new birth in us is that He brings life to our hearts and 
He brings hearing to our ears so that we begin to realize that what God is saying is true and we desire to listen and to respond. As Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. How does faith come to us? Through hearing. It's amazing when, um, when people who, who haven't been Christians um, start attending our congregation. I've heard this a few times, um, and they start, the Lord starts to speak to them. One of the things I've heard from them uh, often, I'm not saying it's, it's always this way, but one of the par- patterns I hear is that they make comments about, wow, it starts to make sense. I start to get it. Well, that's a sign that the Lord is granting hearing to our ears so that now we are able to listen. We have an ability to hear what God says and hear it as the Word of God. But this willingness to hear, this readiness to hear, this attentive spirit that is ready to hear begins affecting our relationships, not only with God, but our relationship relationships with one another. Remember, James is not just addressing isolated Christians. He's addressing Christians who are living the Christian life with one another in Christian gatherings, communities, local churches. And the first fruit that James addresses is their readiness to listen more than readiness to speak. Now, the second command he gives in this, in this relationship uh, dimension is be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. If you have a quick spirit to speak, it often impairs your ability to listen well. Because you're really interested just to speak, not to listen. Have you been in situations where you're in dialogue with someone else and, uh, you know, they're saying something and you really want to be, you want to be um, courteous and hear what they have to say, but, but you're so ready to respond that you're not even listening to what they're saying. You're just sort of nodding your head, but you're in your mind, you're just thinking, uh, what is an open spot where I can interject and really respond? You're not really slowing down to listen to what the other person has to say. You have a quick spirit to speak. So be slow to speak. Slow down your desire to express yourself and prioritize the desire to listen as more important than self-expression. But think about times when we are in tension with, with someone else. Whether that someone else is a spouse or a friend or another member of the congregation or your boss or a coworker at, at work, how easily we are consumed with just making sure we say back what we have to say so that we prove that we are right in our views. Friends, one of the things I've been trying to do to, before you as, as a pastor is to encourage and model this readiness to hear and listen what others have to say. Now, I realize I don't do that well all the time. But one of the things, and some of you may have picked on this, and I I am very open about this, one of the things I always want to know and assure you that even even though we may have different convictions on some things, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear your thoughts about what's going on and even your impressions, even though we might have disagreement on a particular issue, I want to be able to hear. And I want to encourage members to, to speak 
and to, to show that readiness to, to hear others and understand others' points of view, even, at the end, even if at the end of the dialogue there's no agreement. But at least we're able to hear one another. I've encouraged uh, uh, to a great extent, and I want to continue to do so, the ability to, to hear what others have to say, the ability to, to hear feedback, hear constructive feedback, so that we show in our willingness to hear what others have to say, we show this readiness to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Friends, there's nothing more subtly destructive in a community than when members are not willing to listen and to engage in healthy dialogue with one another. So James encourages us to be quick to hear, slow to speak. But that's not all. He goes on to a third subpoint in this first major point. He says, and be slow to anger. What does anger have to do with being quick to listen and slow to speak? The issue of anger seems particularly uh, important in the book of James. Later in chapter 3 and chapter 4, James will speak and, and sort of call them out on their anger issues uh, between their relationships. He says, uh, he ta- will talk in chapter 3 about the sins of the tongue. In chapter 4, he will say, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James is writing to a church or to, to gatherings where people did have quarrels and fights among them. Sadly, James here addresses this this reality of of anger. Anger is not only what comes out of your mouth. You can be quiet and still be angry and full of anger. The reasons why we should be slow to anger is because anger problems seem to be uh, significant uh, for James in the next verse. Look at verse 20. He says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Remember, the new fruits, the new birth produces new fruit. God produced in us this new, He implanted the Word of God. We have a new inclination in our hearts. But if we allow and give in to the anger of man, what kind of fruit are we giving out? Not the righteousness of God, but the very opposite. Friends, have you noticed that when you allow to grow uh, in anger inside of you, when you allow that anger to grow inside of you, whether you express it verbally or whether you keep it inside, it will affect your ability to listen. People who are angry are not good learners. When you are angry and full of anger, you are not going to be teachable. There's a great correlation between speaking slowly or being slow to speak and quick to listen and being full of anger. You can't do them all. So that when your heart is full of anger, you are not in a position ready to hear well and quick. In order to listen to someone you need to slow down in your inner anger or outer anger as well. Likewise, people who are angry with God will not have the readiness to hear from God. If you're angry with God, you're not going to hear Him. One of the things that, 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 that it's an obstacle in our own hearts is that to, de- to, to examine our hearts and see, is there any angerness that we might have even towards God for whatever reason? 
Because if we do, we will not be able to hear well from him. I love what uh, Alec Motier says, the great talker is rarely a great listener and never is a year more firmly closed than when anger takes over. Friends, some of you are this morning intentionally holding on to some anger in some form inside your heart. And, and you, you might still hold on to some anger as a form of, of exercising your self-control over a situation. You don't want that to go. You're going to be angry about it because you deserve to be angry about it because, because they deserve to be angered against. Oh, friends, when you are angry and hold on anger against someone, realize this, you are the only one who's hurt. You are the only one who's being hurt by your anger. And one of the ways you will be hurt by your anger is by this inability to be teachable, quick to hear, and slow to speak. So, friends, check your heart. Be slow to anger. Others of you may not intentionally hold on anger inside of you. You're not aware that you are intentionally holding on to anger. But you might have another characteristic that you are quick to lose it. So realize that it's not so much that you're intentionally trying to hold on to anger, but you just have a temper issue, an anger issue. Realize, friends, that that is also a, a problem. You do not want to explain away. You do not want to find reasons to sort of just let it be in your life. Oh, that's just the way I am. I'm just born this way, or I've just had stress in my life. I, I don't know how to handle it. You want to pursue that and put it off. It's not easy. I'm not saying it is easy, but don't let that continue to characterize you. Friends, whenever you intentionally hold on to anger, or whenever it happens even unintentionally and it's out of your control, you are encouraging your heart to produce something other than the righteousness of God. That attitude will produce slowness of listening and quickness of speech, which is the very opposite of what the new birth produces in us. And let's look at the second fruit. The second fruit is a fruit of, of the new birth is, is in the pursuit of holiness. James in verse 21 says, he gives a, a, a pretty big command which actually has two parts. And the first part of that command is, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Therefore what? Since the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What, these do, what do these two words, why, why does James characterize them this way? Filthiness and, uh, and rampant wickedness. Filthiness is, is a word used only one other time in the entire New Testament in the book of James, chapter 2. We'll look at it when it speaks about people who come in with dirty clothes because of their poverty. It refers to, to physical dirt, but here in chapter 1, James uses this verse to refer to a spiritual dirt, if you will, a spiritual value of, of dirt, of, of, of filthiness, coming in stained. Uh, and so often, sin is described in, in Scripture as a stain, and here James uses this language of filthiness. That's sin. But the other word is rampant wickedness. What is that? What is rampant wickedness? Um, wickedness is a very general term referring to sin. Any kind, of, any kind of sin, anything that's not right in the eyes of the Lord is wickedness. But rampant, 
The word rampant is, is ever-growing, or it always grows over and over. The best illustration I can give you is, is weeds. You know, you pull out weeds. Two weeks later, they come back again. We just did, we just, example, some of us uh, did it um, before Easter. We pulled out the weeds in the flower beds in front of our church, and it was a pretty, uh, pretty strenuous work to do. And if you go out there right now, you can start seeing just three weeks later, you'll see weeds again. Why? Because they're rampant. You pull them out, and there they crop up again. Rampant wickedness. Now, just because they keep coming out doesn't mean you should give up pulling them out. Put it away. Even though it's going to come back. And even though it's going to come back in the same way or in different ways. Put it away. Declare war against it. Be a constant, be constantly vigilant and seek to live that, that life that takes a stance against filthiness and wickedness. It is true, dear friends, a new birth will not take sin out completely on this side of heaven. We still live with a sinful nature inside of us. It's not so much that we will now be sinless and sin-free. That is not a biblical picture of being a Christian on this side of heaven. But what is a biblical picture is that we will always pluck it out. We'll always be busy putting it away, putting it off. That's what a Christian is. It's not so much a, the person who has no sin in his life, but a person who doesn't let sin grow and fester and stay in, always plucking it out. Oh, friends, the fruits of the new birth is in our pursuit of, of this kind of holiness. That's why, friends, one of the characteristics of the new life is this readiness to live an ongoing life of repentance. That's why we encourage one another to be asking the deeper questions of, of one another, uncomfortable questions of accountability, opening up to one another. Now, let me speak here to um, husbands and wives. If, if you're married, you should not consider your spouse your ultimate accountability partner. You should have other men or women, people of the same gender than you, to whom you are opening up and allowing them to ask you the uncomfortable questions. It is not enough simply to share that, and we encourage people to share, to, to, to share their, their joys and, and, and struggles with their spouses. Don't get me wrong. We want people to, to talk about that. But ultimately, you should have other accountability partners that are some, someone else other than your spouse to whom you allow and you encourage to ask you the deeper questions. Friends, as a community, we should be kind of people that encourage one another in this pursuit of, of putting off filthiness, of putting off um, all kinds of rampant wickedness, of seeing the subtleties of sin inside our hearts and in our actions and doing that out of love for one another, realizing that we cannot do it alone, that we need the strength and, and the, the wisdom and the encouragement of one another as we link arms together. Friends, think about the weeds in your life. How are you doing in pulling out the weeds in your life? When was the last time you 
you took the, the hoe, the spiritual hoe of your life, and start pulling them out. Even small things that may not seem a big deal. Are you interested in those kind of things? Are you even interested in pursuing that direction? I'm not saying it's easy. It's difficult. But are you interested in pursuing that? And if you haven't picked it up in a while, it will feel strange and awkward to start doing it. And just like, just like getting a muscle fever from pulling out some weeds in a, in, you know, a longer flower bed here outside, um, it, it felt strange the next day. It will frail, feel strange and awkward first time you're going to start doing it. And especially first time when you're going to start opening up yourself to other fellow members of the same gender as you. Well, friends, do it. Put away all filthiness. It is a sign. That desire, that inclination is a, desi- is a fruit of the new birth. And lastly, actually, let me, before I go to lastly, just for those of you who are not convinced that we should be doing this to one another, James in chapter 5, verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another. It's black and white. We need to be doing this. Third area, third area uh, of, of fruit that we see in, um, in James here that describes this, the fruitfulness of the new birth is our readiness to receive the word. Our readiness to receive the word. Again, look at like verse 21. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice, notice a few things about this verse, about this final command in our text. Um, notice that it's, it's the, the word that we're to receive is already implanted in us. Did you notice that? What we're called to receive is a word that is already implanted in us. In other words, this is not speaking about conversion. This is speaking about people who already have the word of God implanted in their hearts, and they need to have an attitude of ongoing receiving of this word. So it's speaking about Christians. And notice what kind of receiving we are to have towards this word. Receive with meekness with humility. What's the opposite of that? The opposite would be, one, not receiving it at all. Or if you receive it, to receive it begrudgingly. You know, you receive it, like, I don't want to do it. No, I I really don't, but I I know if I don't, it'll be bad. I don't want to do it. And you sort of like do it, but really with a half heart. Receive with meekness. What does it mean to receive with meekness? Well, friends, let me give some illustrations of what, what, how people oftentimes think through about receiving the Word, especially if the Word is challenging and, and, and grinding and pulling, peeling off things that should be peeled off, and we're not ready to have those things peeled off. Here's some examples. Do you ever catch yourself saying this or have heard others say this? I know I should not do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know I'm, not, I'm supposed to act in this particular way. I'm not going to do it. Friends, that is not reception at all. That's just flat-out rejection. Reception that is on your terms or our terms, our terms, is something like this. I know God wants me to do this, but I don't like it. I really don't. 
I'm going to delay doing it. I'm going to hold off until I process it more. I'm not going to do it. Or I'm going to do it in this way. And you sort of redefine. Or you, you start scrutinizing. Well, did God really say that? Remember where that was first uttered in the Bible? Did God really say that? Remember the Garden of Eden? And then if you'd still do it, again, you do it with a critical spirit. You're not embracing it. How often, dear brothers and sisters, we wonder whether or not we should receive the word, and if we choose to do it, we will do it with a critical spirit. So what does it mean for us to do it with meekness? I love what uh, Alec Motier said and how he defined meekness at this point. He says, it's that temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good without disputing. It's that spirit which says a simple yes to what the Word teaches and commands. It is the mind that is disposed to learn and to do so with prompt readiness. Friends, if you were to run a test of your heart's meekness as it receives the word, what would that test show? How would you test on it? That's not simply the level of receptivity, but the level of meekness with which you receive the word. Do you find yourself always trying to fight back with God's Word, always trying to, to push back and, and really scrutinize, not in a, in a way that seeks to understand, but in a way that actually seeks to reject? Do you ever pray that God would give you meekness to receive the Word? Say, Lord, speak to me. Help me understand your Word, and then give me the readiness to act upon it. Like Samuel in the Old Testament to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Notice something else about this word that we are to receive with meekness. It is able to save our souls. That's why we should receive it with meekness. This is not just the word of your pastor or the word of another fellow human being. This is not just good advice or good teaching. This is not just a word of a God out there among many whom you might consider. This is the word which is able to save your souls. Salvation in this verse is not talking about conversion. It's talking about that salvation which we will receive at the end of the age, the culmination of salvation. Our daily embracing of the word of truth creates the conditions in which the implanted word germinates, grows, and becomes fruitful in salvation. Friends, realize the amazing role that this word of God has for our salvation. It should, this, this role should give us an extra incentive why we should receive it and we should receive it with meekness. Why we should have readiness to act upon it and not come to it as you come to a negotiation table and see how far are you willing to go, which parts are you willing to accept. Oh, friends, realize that what you are dealing with is with a word that is able to save your soul, and if you come to it with a negotiating attitude, you might find yourself on the wrong end of that negotiation. 
one of the fruits of the new birth is that it gives us hearts of meekness. So we come to the Word with readiness. The rest of this chapter, and we will look at it next week, is going to be the readiness to do it. Right now, we have just looked at the readiness to receive it with meekness. Next week, I hope you come back next week, we will look at the readiness not just to hear the Word, not just to receive it, but to actually do it. Friends, realize the fruits of the new birth, as we have looked in these three verses, is, is showing up in, in three areas of our relationships, in how we are ready to listen, to speak, and to be slow to anger, in our pursuit of holiness, in our readiness to receive the word with meekness. Would you pray with me? Father, would you give us a humility to receive your word with readiness, with acceptance, with a resolute decision that your word is good, and it is good for us. Father, I pray for those who might be among us who have never responded to the call of Christ. Father, I pray for those who are still in rebellion of, of their sin. Father, we pray and ask that you would gr grant them the life that enables them to hear your word as your word calling them to respond. Father, we pray that you would grant them this meekness of spirit, that they would be enabled to respond to you and desire to turn. But Father, we pray for, for those who have repented of their sins, have, have walked with you for a number of years, and in their hearts they might still be a lack of readiness to hear. There might have been building among their hearts a, a callousness, a hardness that just negotiates with your word, a hardness that just delays receiving your word. Father, we pray that you strip that away. We ask that you would give us the power of your spirit to operate upon our hearts and to grant us repentance and a readiness to receive your word with meekness. May this meekness represent and characterize our attitudes in all that we do, especially in our relationship with you and with one another as a body of Christ. Father, help us to represent you well. Help us to put forth the fruits of righteousness that, that belong to those whom you have birthed again. Oh God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work these fruits in our lives so that we might represent well the power and the nature of your kingdom among us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.